Hey everybody, before you listen to the show, two quick things. I hope you and your loved ones are safe, happy and healthy. Secondly, stop right now. If you haven't already, check out our free to access conveyance and service for mortgage brokers and estate agents. Mortgage brokers must check out our free to access services at the mortgagebrokerclub.co.uk including over 25 categories of mortgage broker tools. Stay well, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the MLC Show for Property Professionals. I'm your host, Sean Rogers, and I am delighted to be joined on today's show by Chris Dawson, Director of Six Door Limited. After spending over 20 years in the sales arena, Chris has held nearly every role, from door-to-door canvassing through to national sales management and training for FTSE 100 companies. Chris trains and develops teams nationwide, including clients ranging from BT, Canon Europe, through to Smaller Earth, Hilton Group, and ACC. Chris is also a fellow of the Institute for Sales Management and a member of the Association of Neurolinguistic Programmers. Teaches sales skills at the University of Liverpool and helps salespeople around the world with the digital sales dojo. It's a bit like TED Talks for the sales industry. The sales dojo is also a podcast and clubhouse room. On today's show, we're going to be picking Chris's brains on growing and retaining your B2B introducer relationships, overcoming clients' objections, converting more sales, and increasing repeat business. Chris, I hope all that didn't make you blush. It's a very impressive CV, so it's, I wanted to make sure that we read that out. How are you, and how is your start to 2021 been? Hey, Sean. Yeah, no, it didn't make me blush at all. Um, yeah, I'm great. I'm really good. It's a Friday afternoon as we record this, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, 2021's been crazy, yeah. We're, uh, we're pulling 15-hour days at the moment. Um, we're, we're getting ready for the rest of the world to unlock, uh, doing some really cool stuff. So, yeah, we're having a really good year so far. And over the course of the last 12 months, have you seen buyer behaviour change at all, whether that's related to the pandemic or not? I'm thinking in particular things like cold calls or emails. Yeah, so it's an interesting one, but it's kind of counterintuitive. You'd think that through the pandemic, it, the, the buyer behaviour may have been a bit, uh, a bit less receptive, maybe a bit colder, but actually it's gone the opposite way. Um, so I, I think it's this natural human craving for interaction. So cold outreach has actually been welcomed far more than it was pre-pandemic. Uh, people are quite happy to have a conversation. They might be harder to get hold of because they're not in offices and it's harder to get numbers, but through cold calling, definitely, um, and through the use of new technology. You know, everybody's caught up with using video chat now, which has opened up a lot of sales teams were ready, but the prospects weren't. And it's added a really cool extra step into the sales process. So yeah, buyer behavior is, um, depending obviously on the sector that you're selling into, but people crave human interaction, they crave people. So the the salespeople who've, who've embraced that and maybe gone away from this spray and pray email approach or the marketing approach and gone for direct selling, uh, it's been a great time. Property professionals, a lot of the work that they receive is quite heavily based on introducer partnerships um, as a result of networking, thinking of mortgage brokers as an example, may well have estate agents or surveyors or IFAs that introduce to them. If you were looking to start from scratch or perhaps you're looking to grow your introducer network, how would someone go about that? What would your recommendations be? 
Okay, so I think first of all, you've got to really understand what networking is if you're just starting out, that it isn't a form of direct selling. Networking is 100% about giving. It's the servant leader position. So you need to go and find all the people that you can help, not with your goods and services, but who can you introduce them to? That's almost the definition of a network, isn't it? Um, so obviously LinkedIn, massively powerful now. Um, if you're just starting with this though, it, it's easy to, to go networking, looking for who can you do business with? I would say if you want to grow your network fast and generate business, look for who does business with the people that you want to do business with. So if I connected to you, Sean, and I wanted to do work with you, that's one connection. I, sail, I train sales teams across the world. If I connect with a recruitment agency, they have access to hundreds of sales teams. So I only need to make one connection to access a massive useful network so it's if you're just starting out networking don't fall into the trap of only networking with the end user for your goods and services who may be connected to a much larger network than that um uh, because that's what it is it's about plugging into other people's networks not just creating your own and when you've got those kind of partnerships and you know you're working well together you could go through a spell where for whatever reason uh, the work drops off or in such a competitive market people will be wanting to take that introducer from you um how do you try and build such a rapport that unless there was an absolutely ludicrous offer or set of circumstances that that, rela that relationship would stay loyal if you like that you, you you'd have it nice and, and yeah. set in concrete so First of all, I think you, you, you've got to be really realistic that loyalty doesn't truly exist, you know, because this is in the B2B world, because if somebody came to me and said, we can give you a far superior product at a superior price, you know, a better price that would increase your margin, save you all this stress, Chris, and I believed them, then I'm going to do it. This is business at the end of the day. However, there is rapport, there is ties there that you you can only get them as strong as you can. For me, the best way you can do that is get your client a client. If you act as an introducer, if I generate you business, then you're not going to want to sabotage that relationship. So if I'm always, and this goes back to your networking, if, if you were a client of mine, Sean, but I regularly sent you leads, introduced you to people who then went to do business with you. I'm now not a supplier customer relationship. I'm just a member of your team. And that creates a, a massively superior bond. So, I mean, there's a million ways to go about this, but if you wanted a top tip, it would definitely be always look through your network for who could you create business for your customers with? because that's the fastest way to, it's not an unbreakable bond, but it's a really strong one. And converting leads, that's, you know, it's all very good having the introducer partnerships, whether you're getting them online, whether they're referrals from another introducer, I suppose, especially when they're being referred to you from an introducer, really looking after them and getting that good feedback is crucial. What would your advice be, especially in such a competitive market for trying to maximize the conversion rate, if you like, from lead to, signed up client so a lot of people make the mistake here that think it's all about clever negotiation skills or to use 1980s sales language closing people down really quickly um it's far simpler than that um 
in the relationships that you're building there, it's about moving people through the sales pipeline as smoothly as possible. And the best advice I would give on that is keep your funnel as filled as possible. It's all about being aggressive at the top of the sales funnel. So if you're halfway through the sales process with an organization and they may be considering your competition or they're ghosting you or, you know, all these things that happen in the modern world. If you've got an empty sales pipeline and you desperately need that customer, you'll make mistakes. You won't ask the important questions. You won't be confident enough to walk away and you'll end up in a bad place. If you've got a completely full sales pipeline, because you're always prospecting every week, when you are halfway down that pipeline or moving people forward, you'll ask the right questions. Everything about you will be more confident. Um, so if you want to convert them, it's you, you have to be able to not worry about converting them. And the only way to do that is have an incredibly full top of your funnel. Um, it changes the questions you ask, the confidence you have, how hard you push people, your willingness to walk away. Just don't forget, in every deal, you're 50% of that deal. If you're not, then you're losing. So, yeah, keep your sales funnel as full as possible. And how, when, you, have you, when you've been training people in relation to, if you like, the early sales process, has much changed over the years in terms of, was is it still the same as it was in terms of maybe you do the phone call and you keep your rapport there or because of so many more digital channels, the people need to be agile and sort of keep in touch with people across email, phone, social media, or is it getting a, almost like man management, I suppose, is it a bit like finding out what works for the potential person at the other end and tailoring your approach to what suits them? Yeah, there is a part of tailoring it. Some people just like to communicate via email. Some people wish you just pick the phone up. But all the research from your likes of Sales Loft, Connect and Sell, uh, and when I say research, they talk with 8 million sales professionals. You know, these are proper stats. These multimedia touch points it massively firms up your chances. So if you phone somebody, email them, connect with them on LinkedIn, and send them a text message, then your chances of moving that sale forward go up by, I think it came out as about 80%. If you just stubbornly, repeatedly call somebody, then your chances are going to go down. So yeah, embrace all channels, but it depends where in the sales pipeline you are. So I try and move things forward as quickly as I can to get in the space where you can send somebody a WhatsApp or a text message. If you, if you think about it, Sean, all your business boring stuff lives in your emails. Yeah. All your friends and your family lives in your text messages and your WhatsApps. The second you can get there, how your relationships perceived completely changes. Um, and in LinkedIn, it's a social media, so it's a bit of 50-50 there. So, yeah, embrace all channels possible um, and be aggressive at the top of the sales funnel. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I know for myself personally, it's funny how things change in that certainly, like you say, on, on emails, um, I, I would like to, hopefully I don't open myself up to criticism here, but I'd like to pride myself on being really good in terms of the organisation of my emails. And I think that comes from always being in regulated environments as well, that you haven't yeah. got much of a choice when it when it comes to that. I think what's interesting, even on some of the platforms, so use LinkedIn as an example. I remember way back in the day, I wouldn't really get many direct messages. And if someone wanted to connect with me, I was quite excited. Whereas the spam that I've been getting on 
on the DMs was interesting. And I only really understood it when I started to reach out to a few people on DMs yeah. who I was connected to, um, I think in, in, a, in a friendly way. Um, not, But you're almost tarred with the same brush, potentially. Um, and I found that interesting that even myself, I noticed that if there are people wanting to connect with me, I was almost negative about it without even looking at who it was. And if you got a DM, I was almost negative about it before I even had a look in there because in a way it's just been abused by so many people. Well, and this is the big shift in cold outreach and prospecting is the, the buzzword at the moment is personalization, but it's really true. You've got to, if you're going to, if you're going to slip into somebody's DMs, it's a horrible phrase I appreciate, or you're going to send them a cold email or a cold phone call is going to be made, you've got to make that person very aware that it was specifically them that you wanted to speak to. They're not just one of 100 calls you're going to make that day. And this is where the big split between telemarketing and telesales comes. So if somebody sends you, we've all had these on LinkedIn, haven't we, Sean? You, you get a connection request, you accept it, and immediately an eight screen long sales pitch appears in your inbox. It's just archive immediately. You just don't engage with it, do you? But if it's really personal and it's not trying to take the sales process too far, this is this is the, the real shift where there's extra stages added now. I just want five minutes of your time. That's your first sell. Not, would you be interested in reading my brochure and me telling you how we're going to help your company? That's way down the line, yeah? It's, Sean, I've been reading some of your posts and I found that I really agreed with some of your opinions on this, apart from this one, and then maybe do something really personal. Would it be crazy for us to get 10 minutes in the diary to maybe have a chat further? Really personal, really relaxed, and then it's just a 10-minute chat and you move it that way. It's the same on the phone or a text or however you're doing it. Um, and you're doing this all the time. So it's a lot of work now because it's real personalization. Um, but people warm to that a lot more than just your old-fashioned spray and pray that's out there, especially DMs on LinkedIn. How much of what you do is sort of strategy-based, if you like, um, in terms of the actual process and how much does the sort of national linguistic program work come in? Um, I've not done anywhere near as much as yourself. It's something that I've done for my own sort of personal benefits, if you like. So yeah. how I can totally see how I think them things will complement each other massively. I'm interested in um, sort of what balance, I suppose, you see them in. Is one more important than the other? How, how, do, how, how would you explain that in terms of how you teach them areas under the sales banner? So the NLP side of it really is, a, is an overarching brush. To, to me, NLP, you know, and it, it's got a lot of flaws by people who've promoted it wrongly. It's a, it's a process and it's about using language. Well, that's what salespeople do. So your process is incredibly important for, for three main reasons. If you haven't got a sales process, you can't teach anybody else what you do because everything you've done is just off the, off the cuff. So it's got to be teachable. You can't repeat it. So every sale you create, if it's not followed a process, has just been luck. And really importantly, it's not scalable without a process. If you have one salesperson following a process, you can have 20 salespeople following the same process. You can scale your business. So we look at that process and it's the fastest way to see where you need to train. 
So they, they could be losing all that potential business in the middle of the pipeline, the end of the pipeline early on. That's where you should focus the training. The NLP side is really, it's just the language that you use. That's not necessarily neuro-linguistic, it's just linguistic. Um, but this is what all salespeople need to do is embrace and learn and love language because it's the tool of the trade. Gone are the days of turning up at a minute to nine, put your tie on, finish your toast and go, I'll just phone someone. You know, if you don't take sales seriously, you're never going to make serious sales anymore. Yeah, completely agree. And also, like you were saying, it's probably more important how you talk to yourself. I think that that was the main reason I sort of did it from a personal development point of view, really, rather than interacting with others. Uh, as I said, my, my main problem was making sure I was talking to myself in the in the right way and handling them issues correctly. Um, with Six Door, what led to you creating Six Door, Chris? And tell me a bit about um, those early days, setting it up and getting it running. So six door, I've been in sales, I know you know my backstory, Sean, so, and everybody's got the same story, haven't they? I know, but literally from, from the womb, um, I've got no other skill. I can't make stuff, I'm rubbish with tools, I can barely use a knife and fork. All I've ever been able to do is talk to people and, and do sales. So I worked my way up through my career right to the top of the corporate ladder. Um, I saw where that was going and we, we parted company a decade ago now, and I had my sales training company all ready to go. And it was, the goal was to help people, but it wasn't specifically a sales training company. It's the goal of the company is to help people change their outcome by changing the language that they use. The vehicle for that just happens to be sales because that's the fastest way to change your outcome by changing your language. And um, in the early days, I thought I knew it all. And every year that goes by, I realize I know less and less and less as the world's opening up, which I'm sure is a journey that most business owners have been on. Um, I'll tell you quickly, the first sales meeting I had, my company was three days old and we got an inbound lead from a recommendation about me from my corporate days. And I went to see this MD of a, a, a multinational, multi-billion pound organization. And I was only used to corporate rates and what we'd paid other people. And they said, oh, we've got three three people in a care team. We just want to upskill them a bit. Could you do us like a half day or a day's training? Brilliant. I, I won't say on your podcast what I quoted them, but it was a ridiculous amount of money. Um, and they didn't even question it. They just said, yes, and off we went. And I thought, that's it, Lamborghinis all round. We cracked it. Um, very long story short, we did the training. It was all wonderful. They never paid the invoice. They never paid the bill. That was my first foray into running this company was legal proceedings. And that was, it was, and I've not been on any less of a learning curve ever since, which I love. Every day there's something new is going to happen. And it's interesting in the, in the course of the last decade because there's probably, I mean, you could, I mean, who knows what will be the next decade, maybe it'll be similar, but possibly in the, in the last decade, there's just never been so many changes potentially in terms of human behaviour, sales, I mean, Facebook's probably, what, 13, 14 years old now. Yeah. You know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, incredibly low Google pay-per-click rates, heavy email marketing open rates. And yeah. then when you think now, when people are talking about, you know, Bitcoin, um, NFTs, you know, non uh, 
fungible tokens and things like this. And then when you look at things like Clubhouse and all the other platforms and all the other, you know, you've got voice that you would imagine is going to have a serious role to play later in the decade. How have you found going through that journey? Has it has it has it changed at all your sort of the sales techniques and the way you operate? Or actually is it just that's the medium and actually this sort of training and the process you go through with people is, is pretty similar? No, I, I mean, it, it, it's part of my role is you've got to keep up to date. The sales world's changed unbelievably. If I was trading out what we trained 13 years ago to people, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, it's a different world. The one thing I really love, though, is the, the inside sales as it is. 15 years ago, it was called Telecan. And it was, you know, it had a certain stereotype to it and certain things that people didn't like. And that role's really evolved to inside sales, the SDR role, where they need to use social media and email and they need to learn about language. And I think the professional image of it has really raised, which I'm really proud of, you know, and I'd like to think we've had a hand in that, especially with the sales dojo work that we do. Um, but yeah, we've like all businesses, um, you've got to keep up. You know, when the sun rises in the morning, you've got to get running. Um, and nothing, ne the world's never changed as quickly as it changes now. So it's, it's you've got to have that open mindset to, to learn in a, a growth mindset more than ever before. But that's brilliant, isn't it? Totally. Uh, could you give us some examples of how you help businesses or how you help professionals? Some, give us some examples of what it actually looks like in process in terms of you coming in, what that entails, what that looks like for the end. Client. Yeah, so uh, the, 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 it's it's split into a number of factions, and especially with the way the world's been, we can help. We help smaller businesses who maybe haven't got a training budget, and they say, you know, we've got one salesperson. Okay, we'll run open courses where you can buy a seat, and you come online and you learn a set course, which you only buy a ticket for the course you think will help. So it could be B two B cold calling, it could be negotiation, what have you. The 90% of the work we do is all very, very tailored though. So the process would work. An organization like uh, Camp America, Smaller Earth, a hotel chain, whatever would approach is an engineering group and say, right, we've got a team of 15 inside sales reps. They're on the phone every day. They're, they're trying to set demos for our account execs, et cetera. Our numbers are down. You know, the dial rates up. We're just not getting there. What can we do? So the first thing we do is a three. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No. Um, we we want to listen to those calls. We want to get to know the team. We want to hear exactly what they're saying, what they're doing, how much of that they're doing, as much information as we can, and then we want to have the discussion of and where do you want to be. So we know where they are and what they're doing, where they want to be, and then we design completely tailored training to take them on that journey. So, for example, Smaller Earth approached us a number of years back. They supply camp leaders for Camp America, Camp China, Camp Canada, everywhere. So we've got our conversion rate on phone calls is around 13.5%. And we'd like to increase that to 15.5%, which on the numbers they were doing was a huge increase. So we spent just a day sat with the team, making calls ourselves, listening to what they were doing, built some training and coaching around it. And with a fortnight, within a fortnight, we got them from 135 to 23.5%. So we massively escalated it. And the thing that's always interesting is whatever issue we get called in to solve usually turns out not to be the issue. And um, quite often we get, it sounds ridiculous, we get called grandma. And it's 
people will do what we ask, even though their bosses ask them to do it. But they'll do it when we ask because we're grandma that comes in and with that fresh set of eyes that you know what it's like you're in your own business you're blind to what's going on because you're so involved in it we've got a completely open look on it so yeah it's we do the deep dive we design the training we deliver the training and we, we try and smash the results for them yeah it's funny when you said grandma i was going to call you a physio because that's quite often what a physiotherapist says actually that you come in with your back problem as an example and they actually go you know what your hamstrings it's your sciatic nerve it's etc etc and i think it's great what you're saying that I, I don't know what i was expecting really but it was just a pleasant surprise that you said you know we get our hands dirty because i think that's something in my journey if you like if i could go back in time i think something that leaders managers supervisors don't do is they probably got to the position from getting the hands dirty if you like they've, they've got to manage the restaurant because they flip burgers originally if you like yeah. but it helps if every now and again you can go back in and do some of those jobs see how things have changed and actually see with your own eyes where you could make well, the easy wins make the changes where the weaknesses are rather than as you say being a bit blind because it is very hard everyone's very good at making recommendations but other people or other businesses or whatever it's so yeah. hard when you're in there because a day becomes a week a week becomes a month well there's there's two two aspects on this so one of the things i was really keen on when i set six door up i i purchased and or was on a team that purchased a lot of external training for the corporate world and every time we had sales training organizations come in they did this very cool training and it was really interesting Every time I said the same thing to them, that's brilliant in theory. Could you please pick the phone up and show me? And nobody would ever do that. They would never do that. And I immediately lost all faith and belief in them. So I was really keen that, no, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. So any inside sales training we do, where it's warranted, I will pick up the phone and I will make calls for that person. Quite often we set the meetings and it immediately gives 100% belief in what we're trying to train out. The other part of that, though, which was really important, is um, we go in and look at what's going on because um, quite often it's far less work than people think it's needed. So we, a number of years back, big nationwide company approached me. We've got a field sales team. We've got 15 field sales agents with a company car, a massive salary, an expense account, everything else. They're around the UK. And we're just not closing the business. We think they're not working properly. They're shy. They're, and they had a real dig at the sales team. We need you to do this training. And we have to say, well, okay, but we'll be the judge of that. So I just went out on the road for a few days with some of the reps. And you know what? They were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. But one part of the sales process let them down. We'd sit a meeting for an hour, we'd drink cups of tea and we'd make the rapport and the small talk and it was all lovely. And then they'd go, well, it was so nice to see you, Sean. Listen, why don't I give you a call in a couple of weeks and we'll sort out another meeting? And Sean would go, yeah, that's great. And off we'd go. And then they'd wait two weeks and they'd phone Sean and he wouldn't answer. So they'd wait another week and they'd phone him again and he'd answer, but he was busy. So then they'd send him an email a week late. And this went on. After eight weeks, they'd then get the second meeting which had the same content as the first meeting. So all we, instead of doing weeks of training and huge expense, we just said, right, everybody, you're not allowed to leave the meeting until you've booked the next meeting. So now they go, Sean, lovely cup of tea, thanks. It was great talking about that. Listen, while we're here, get your diary out. 
why don't I come in next week on Thursday? I'll bring that sample for you and we'll discuss this, this and this. And Sean would go, yeah, that's brilliant. All of a sudden, that eight weeks was one week, that one tiny tweak, and it completely changed the results because it took 90% off the sales cycle for them. They were, and it's where we shoot ourselves in the foot quite often, if you want to look at it in ones and noughts, they were already with a huge training budget and we said, no, let's do a two-hour session with them. And that was it. And it got them the results. So it's imperative that you do that research. You really look into what's going on. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think for me as well, it's great what you're saying there because that's, I think that's the other thing for leaders, which I'm quite big on, which so few people do. I wouldn't expect owners to do it, but certainly people at uh, management operational levels and it's so hard to do, but I, I do think that you have to have a little go at most things in the business and, and possibly prioritise the things that you're looking at outsourcing or have got a big cost to them. So you might not want to bother yourself over the little things, but I'm trying, like say you were going to invest in marketing, perfect, a perfect example. Yeah, That's something that I do think you need to get your hands a little bit dirty on or at least put the time in to do the research on it so that when people come to you for that beauty parade of options and you might be able to now it doesn't matter you might be committing two thousand pounds but it might be the most precious two thousand pounds to you because you're a self-employed professional and this really matters it might be that you're a bigger business and you're committing 200 grand but this isn't a short it's this has to work and yeah you know, we can dip our toe in the water and I think it's very difficult to have a beauty parade of people come and sell to you for want of a better phrase and go through the options if you ultimately haven't got a clue what it is especially when it comes I think to marketing websites digital things because even myself like a lot of the people who are at decision maker level they've gone through quite an academic journey or I don't know about you with your corporate background but quite like an academic journey so if you're self-employed, you've got to know everything about pretty much everything, haven't you? Like your accounting, your marketing, everything else. When you're going through a corporate journey, I haven't got a clue about a website or what they cost or what whether you go HTML or WordPress or a template or what's working in marketing or anything else. And then all of a sudden you've got a big budget and you, you're the one who's got to choose which organisation to go with. And really, what are you basing it on? It's really difficult. Testimonials, well, by the time you got to that stage, everyone's got them. Who you have a rapport with, quite often that ends in tears because sometimes sometimes the people you least get on with are sometimes the best at their job. So I think that is huge to have that little bit of understanding. And like I say, the good thing for you is even if they haven't done that, you go in and, and do that job for but them. This is, this is where all salespeople should get really good. And this is where you get that partnership, that loyalty is... The, the, the biggest part of your sales process should be discovery. It should be properly questioning and properly listening to your prospect about what their issues are. Because quite often your prospective customer isn't even aware of what their issues are or the extra ones. And it's, it's your duty as a salesperson to, you know, you, you're that doctor in that relationship. I wrote about this the other day, Sean, you might have seen it, that, you know, you don't go to the doctor and say, I've got a headache. And he goes, all right, take two of these. The doctor says, okay, where? How long have you had that headache? What do you think's causing it? Have you got any other symptoms? What if you tried to get rid of that before? Is there a family history of headaches? And they go down and down and down. And if they're still not sure about what to prescribe you, they'll go, well, actually, I think we need to refer you to. They'll keep going. It's very tempting in sales. And again, it goes back to if your pipeline's empty and you're desperate for that deal, 
the second your prospect says, oh, well, we got a bit of an issue with this. Oh, we can help with that. And you immediately prescribe your solution and you miss out all the other world of opportunities. And even worse, you might give them the wrong solution. So if you're confident enough to not rush that and do a proper deep dive with them, one, they're going to love you far more because you genuinely have their best interest at heart. You're not the stereotypical salesperson who's just trying to get a deal. And you get a far longer term customer for that. And you open up a world of possibilities. For people who might be self-employed or individual consultants, what would your advice be for them if they uh, are interested in what they hear and you know, they want to go on the website and look at what resources are there? And if you're a, a, a bigger operation, I'm thinking particularly estate agents here, what would be the sort of best packages or the best training resources or what would be the best thing that they could expect to come to you on and, and receive in terms of support and training? So we've got so much out there now, Sean. Um, the, 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 there's two organisations I run now. One is Sixth Door and we go in and we help and support sales teams and individuals through direct training. The second one is the Sales Dojo, which I run with my business partner, Leon, uh, and business partner, Anthony. And there we hold monthly events or every three weeks where we get guest speakers from the sales training world on. These are free to attend. Come and let TED Talks for sales as it is. We've also got the Sales Dojo podcast. We run a clubhouse room. We do live sales calls on Clubhouse for you to listen into. Um, we've got blogs on the Sixth Door website you can read. Ultimately... If you want to learn more, just get in touch. I'd love to have a chat with anyone. And we always say, if we can't help, I bet we know somebody who can. Because we've we've networked for a decade in the support and training industry. So we are always connected. And it doesn't matter where in the world you are, we'll know somebody who can help you. So, yeah, just get in touch. Brilliant. And what do the next couple of years look like, Chris? What really exciting, really exciting. So uh, 26th of April, 2021, depends when you listen to this, uh, the Sales Dojo um, member platform launches. So this is where you can become a member of the Dojo and access a vault of videos from sales trainers and coaches and business mentors from all over the world. You can get access to the podcast invites to events, Q&As, coaching. It's a salesperson's dream. Uh, so that we, we've been building this for 12 months now. We're really excited to launch that. Six stores growing and growing and growing, and we've got a lot more international trade now. So we work with people in Melbourne, in Canada, uh, in Poland, all over the place. Um, I'm not going to mention a book because I've been trying to write that for ages and it's not happening. So we'll maybe mention that in another 12 months. We'll get you back on before then, but we'll definitely be able to hopefully give that a big push. Yeah, let's hope so, mate. That's it for this week, everyone. Thank you, Chris, for being such a fantastic guest and thank you for listening. Please check out Chris Dawson on social media. I know he's really active on LinkedIn in particular and Six Door website. We'll be posting links to Chris, Six Door, Sales Dojo and everything on our website and across social media too. Please share and spread the word about the MLT Show for Property Professionals. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to be cheeky as ever and ask for that five-star review. And remember to check out the products and services at mortgagebrokerclub.co.uk. But more importantly, please stay please take care and stay well.